0: Go ahead and turn back to the book of Esther. We're going to be reading in a little bit from Esther chapter 2. Just to bring everybody up to speed with where we're at this morning. So we are doing our final message in the, in the, in the book of Esther this morning. So that's going to be, uh, right now we're going to do the, the, our final week in Esther. The next week is the Thanksgiving service. Um, and then we're gonna, the next couple weeks after that, we're going to have two two messages that are not part of a series. Just two. Um, uh, one that I'm excited for is uh, Scott Crook, who is the new senior pastor of Crosspoint, our sister church in Arnold, uh, is going to be here. And uh, and most of you know that church well, but probably don't know Scott and his family well. So I'm excited that he can be here, and his family will be here, and that just we can introduce you to him. So that's going to be in a couple of weeks. Uh, and then after that. Uh, our next series, just to uh, give a heads up, will be in the book of Luke. So we're going to be studying the book of Luke together. I am very excited about that. I'm going to save the introduction for that for another time, but um, that'll be what we're doing. And um, just the timing of it is that really the Luke begins, as most of you would be aware, with the birth narrative of Christ, and that's when we're going to be starting in December. So excited that we can be taking, um, taking a look at that book next. But for one final time, wanted to... To look at the book of Esther and sort of just have what are what are some just sort of some final takeaways from the book. Obviously, it's been a different way that we've gone through the series and that we really did an overview message at the very beginning. And if if you're kind of like you didn't listen to that or sort of some of the specific details of of, of Esther are still a little foggy in your mind, I'd, I'd encourage you to go to listen to that one uh, just to kind of get up to speed on the big picture of what happens in Esther. But then every week we, we've done different, just the themes that have emerged. And in the book there has been a lot of action that we've seen. There's a lot of characters. There's just a lot of things that we've, we've seen in the book. we have The story of Esther is the story of God's sovereign and surprising rescue and deliverance of his people. As they were in exile living under a foreign king. And due to the king's evil advisor, a man named Haman, they were under the sentence of death. And the book really gets bleaker and bleaker for God's people before you see his rescue plan unfold. How, before you see how God had positioned Esther, to the Jewish queen, to win the king's favor and reveal her identity and stop the, the evil plan of Haman. We see this twist as, as Haman who sentenced the people to death as Haman himself is killed and the people of God live. See Mordecai, Esther's adopted father, rise to prominence. And ultimately, the king uses his power to spare God's people. See the courage of of, of God's people in this book, particularly of Mordecai and Esther. You see how this idea of just how human means and God's sovereignty, how human actions and decisions and God's sovereignty, they worked in concert together, that both were very much in play throughout the book. We see... That redemption isn't just sort of, res, sort of this rescue and sort of like, okay, you were drowning and now you're on dry land. That's not the way it is. But it's a total reversal of fortune. It wasn't just not being defeated to live for another day, but it's, it's, it's total victory and security. We see throughout the book that the same God who is at work in his people then is the same God who works in his people today. And how Esther really does point to our ultimate redemption and rescue. How God is the same God who defeats his ultimate enemy and who defeats our enemies as well because one not only risked but gave up the royal throne because one not only risked their life but Christ came to give up his life for his people. So in the book of Esther we see not only the queen but we see the king of all kings in Jesus Christ. So there's a lot we we see throughout the book but there's a few things that we don't appear to see. Or at least there's a few things that aren't on the surface or they're not obvious that they take place. But yet, I think when we we look again or when we look a little closer, we actually say, no, no, though they're not obvious on the surface, they're very much in the book. I wanted to talk about a few of those things because I think there are things that are not not only not obvious in this book, they're not always obvious in our life or as we interpret our circumstances and our experience, that they're not always obvious, they're not always immediately seen on the surface but they're very much there when we take a closer look and that we see the same way that it's not always obvious but God's activity is all over every page of this book it's not always obvious in our life but God's activity is in every circumstance and in every day of our lives and so the main point we're going to be looking at this morning is the ways of God often invisible always unstoppable. The ways of God, often invisible, always unstoppable. So we're going to jump around a little bit all over the book, but we're going to read together. I'm going to ask if you could stand with me as we, as we read Esther chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 18, which is really, this is the beginning of when we just see the, the, the uh, sort of the beginning of the rescue plan unfold, though at the time they would not have been aware of it. So if you could stand with me as we read... Esther chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. And again, just so there's no confusion, I'm going to change the, name, the pronunciation of the king's name to Xerxes to see it consistent with other places, but just you're not reading a different version um, when I read a different name. But verse 15 says this, When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except for what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Xerxes into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tabath in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants, it was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with the royal generosity, with royal generosity. Well you may be seated. Again the main point we're going to be looking at this morning is the ways of God, often invisible, always unstoppable. Last week I, was, uh, I was, was in Florida a couple weeks ago, and I was flying home and it was one of these flights. I went to go to a pastor's conference, which, by the way, was a joy to go to. I think Leo gave you all an update on it last week. but um, thank you for sending me to go, and I really do pray that it would allow us to uh, just equip us to serve you all more effectively. Um, but we would flying home from the conference, and my flight was like a, it was eleven o'clock at night kind of flight, and so you know, at eleven o'clock at night, like usually I'm asleep by then. But when I'm awake, like I'm groggy and I'm tired. You know, so I could I could have missed something, but because it was also eleven at night, like it was dark, and it was one of these flights where they keep the lights down the whole time. You know what I mean? And it was already delayed, so there was just sort of this this pace they were going on. We're going to board quickly. We're going to take off quickly. All that kind of stuff. But 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 I never heard, and I never so. And when we walked in, you know, the 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 cabin door is closed, so you, don't get, a, you get, don't get to see who the pilot is, and because it was late at night, he didn't do any announcements, so I never saw the pilot, and I never heard the pilot, and, you know, I, I saw where he was supposed to be, you know, I saw the door that he, that he sits behind, but it, but it was closed, and I heard flight, anna- you know, flight attendants, you know, they talked about the pilot like he was there, and that he was flying the plane, but I never, I never saw him, never heard of him. But when we landed in Baltimore, it was, it was obvious that he was there, right? I mean, it was obvious that there was somebody flying the plane, though I never saw him and I never heard him because, right, there's just this sense of like, hey, you don't, need to, you don't need to see everything to make it obvious that just because you didn't see him at one level, it was obvious that he was in control of the airplane and that he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, right? That, that's sort of this obvious idea. Well, in Esther, there's some things that aren't on the surface. There's some things that at first glance, it doesn't appear we see. But I would say just as obvious as there was a pilot flying the plane, it was just as obvious that they were throughout the book of Esther. And you just maybe need to look again or look with a different set of eyes. So three things we're going to be talking about this morning. The first is this, is invisible power. Invisible power. So the Bible is full of miracles. Now a miracle, I, just the way I'm, I'm going to use it this morning, isn't just sort of this cool event or sort of this cool coincidences that seem, you know, this cool sort of conversion of events that sort of seem to benefit me in some way. But, but it's an event that it's, it, where that the normal God-created laws of science and of nature are suspended so that, so that one can see the obvious hand of God on display. The supernatural power of the Creator on full display is what happens in a miracle. And miracles are all throughout the New Testament as Jesus is alive and as the Gospel breaks new, new ground in places like Acts where we see healing of the sick and raising of the dead and feeding 5,000 and blind men seeing. Right? This is only attributable to, to God. This is clearly the work of God and God alone. We see miracles all over the the Old Testament. We see things like splitting of the Red Sea and Elijah calling for fire from heaven and people surviving the fiery furnace unsinged, right? And on and on we could go. It's all over the place, the, the power of God and God alone. And yet, as we look in Esther, here, while people are at their most desperate hour, living in exile under their conqueror's conqueror, Set, spread out, scattered throughout the province, not in Jerusalem, which is, which is where they were, were meant to be. This was, this was the promised land. They weren't in Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout the kingdom. The king just signs their death warrant. They are on the brink of extinction. When they are at their most desperate hour, what do we see? Well, there's no, there's no obvious miracle. There's no... Suspension of science. There's no sign and wonder that we see. There's no moment where you couldn't say, you know, humans had nothing to do with that. No, we we could look and say, boy, human characters made very real decisions. There, there, there's no moments that you say, okay, yep, okay, God, you know, push pause on the normal rules of science and you know acted in this way. No, all you see is human characters making very real decisions with very real effects. And yet, if one sees no handiwork of God in Esther, because they don't see this obvious miracle, one doesn't understand the story of Esther. Because the fact that they went from extinction to thriving, it is because God was working in power. But what he did it though through was through human means, through human events and decisions. Now, it is awe-inspiring to think of him, how he uh, at times suspend the laws of nature, and it is amazing that he is powerful enough to use sinful humanity to accomplish his perfect plan. Near the dramatic conclusion of Esther, we read this in Esther chapter 8. This is sort of, what, sort of how the, you know, as there's this pleading before the king to, to, to reverse what he had signed with the death warrant of the people. It said this, Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out his golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if this thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in the provinces of the king. For how can I bear the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear the destruction of my kindred? Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman and have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So how does the story reach its dramatic conclusion is Esther pleaded and the king changed his mind and went on their side. What, what did God use? He used Mordecai. And he used Esther, and he, he used remembering events of the past, which in some ways can all be humanly explained, but only divinely orchestrated. Uh, let, me, let me just say this, too. As we think of God's power, right, just think of your own life like you work with people right at some context like in your day-to-day life you you work with humanity right you you interact with people does it does it make god seem bigger or smaller that he uses people to accomplish his purposes does it show that he's in more control or in less control that he that he orchestrates all decisions and all actions and all emotions and he uses all these things to orchestrate them for his purposes does he seem more or less in control because of that? See, him using ordinary means should not make God appear smaller, but his power more expansive and his power more in every detail of every human affair. So here, here's, here's, here's the point. Listen, at times, I do want to say, at times, we, we do see miracles today. I mean, certainly every conversion is a miracle. And certainly we, we do see times where God still works in miraculous ways, where there is no sort of human contribution that you could say, boy, you know, he just, he worked and it was miraculous. and He's just showing off his power. And he still spreads the gospel in ways that just point to his authority over all things. And so it is good to pray for and it happens. I, we want to see the supernatural work of God in our world and in our midst and in our generation and in our church. So, so let's pray for it. But let me also, And let me also say this, that there have been those who I think have sadly made this kind of a tricky, to talk, tr- tricky topic to talk about in a church because I think the way that they have perversed the idea of a miracle the way that there have been those who have treated God as if He's this cosmic slot machine that sort of give money and get a miracle back. Or if you don't see a miracle in your midst, it's because you don't have enough faith or you haven't given enough money, but it's because you have prevented the work of God in some way. And there have been many that have hurt many people in the process. There have been those that would call on the supernatural power of God not to make much of God and to see his kingdom advance, but to make much of themselves and to elevate their platform. So me say this, let, let's pray for miracles. But let, let's note that, that they happen, miracles happen, so that we can see the kingdom of God advance, so that we can see the ravaging, of, the ravaging effects of sin alleviated in some way. And so that it can point to God's power and compassion. Miracles aren't so they can point to any person's gifting, but so that we can see the power of God on display. So, genuinely, let's let's pray for miracles in our day. Let's pray for miracles to, to take place in our midst. And at the same time, and most of the time, let's recognize that I think what we see in Esther is what we see in our lives. That God doesn't suspend nature, but He works in it. He works through means in His concurrent and providential care, but when He's doing that, it does not mean He is silent or aloof or He's just letting things play out or He's just this God who sets things in motion and then sees what happens. Now He's a God who, who it, it's easy for Him. At times, He uses a miracle to point to His love, but at times, He uses the seemingly ordinary to fulfill His purposes. Who uses our decisions and our actions and our prayers and our and our longings and our desires to to fulfill His purposes on the earth? And so that this deliverance, though that the deliverance that we see here through human ordinary means, is no less miraculous in result. That as we think about our own conversions, listen, almost all of our conversions has a story of boy. what he used was the the normal everyday means of just the faithfulness of parents day in, day out, preaching the gospel, praying, and just being a godly, imperfect example day in, day out. Or he used a conversation with a friend or he used somebody saying something and this, this book just came to life in our eyes. And he used it for a miraculous outcome. In our own lives, we just need to recognize that His power isn't always shouting His name in every circumstance, so it's just so blazingly obvious that we can't see anything else, but just in whispering His name in every detail of our life and orchestrating all things for the good of those who love Him and to accomplish His purpose. So in our lives, His power may not be, always be obvious but it is just as real in your life and in this world and in our church. And we just need to recognize God's not more at work in splitting the sea than He is in Esther. His power is not greater in either story. And in in our lives, the normal daily means of Him sovereignly ruling the world doesn't mean He's any less at work or powerful in it. Secondly, Point two, we see this, we see an invisible presence, an invisible presence, right? When I was sitting on the airplane, even though I didn't see the pilot, I didn't hear the pilot vocally, it was, it was obvious, right? Somebody was flying the plane. It was obvious that there was a reason we got from Orlando to Baltimore. Well, in this book through 10 chapters, God's name is never mentioned, and I just don't mean the formal name of Yahweh is not mentioned. Like there's no reference to God in this book, and you can combine that with the fact that we didn't see any apparent miracles, and it could almost appear that God is incidental to the story. Now, but let's let, now I need to be clear: there is nothing but God's providential care all throughout, all over this book. But at first glance, it could seem maybe He's more of a side character in this drama message Leo preached earlier in the series, he, he gave Mark Dever, who's a pastor in the Washington, D.C. area, gave some, sort of some of the providential coincidences we see in the book of Esther. That Esther just happens to be Jewish and she just happens to be beautiful. That Esther just happens to be favored by the king. That Mordecai just happens to overhear the plot against the king's life. The report of this just happens to be written in the king's chronicles. That Haman just happens to notice that Mordecai does not kneel down before him. And he just happens to find out that Mordecai is a Jew when Haman plots his revenge, the dice, the dice just happened to indicate that the date for exacting revenge is put off almost a year, that Esther just happens to get the king's approval to speak, but then she happens to put off her request for another day, that her deferral just happens to send Haman out by Mordecai one more time, which just happens to cause him to recount it to his friends. They, in turn, just happen to encourage him to build a scaffold immediately, so Haman just happens to be excited to be excited to approach the king early the next morning it just so happens that the previous night the mighty king could not command a moment's sleep and it just so happened that he had the book brought to him that recounted Mordecai's deed and then he then happened to ask whether Mordecai had been rewarded to which his attendants happened to know the answer Haman happens to approach the king just when the king is wondering how Mordecai should be honored the king happens to return to the queen just as hap- Haman happens to be pleading with Esther in a way that can be misconstrued. The gallows Haman built for Mordecai just happens to be ready for when King Xerxes wants to hang Haman. Endeavor writes I could keep going. If this is how you read the story of Esther as so many happenstances and lucky coincidences, apart from believing that God is actively and sovereignly rules over our world, the book of Esther becomes a mere celebration of Mordecai's wisdom, Esther's courage. And most of all, simple chance and luck. But friend, if you are a Christian, this is not how you should read this book. I assure you this is not why it was written. This book was written to show that God himself acts to achieve the total defeat of his foes and the safety of his people. Listen, it's an act of faith to believe that God is sovereignly in control of every detail of the universe and of our lives. But I want to be clear that this Book is quite clear about this so the book of Esther points to that but this book all over the place clearly points to that. History verifies it and there's a long line of saints that, that will gladly attest to the reality that God is in sovereign and complete control over every affair of, of, of human existence. So I would actually submit that it's a much bigger act of faith than one of deceit to believe that he isn't in control. But here's what I think we need to be aware of. His so often his hand and his, his presence in our lives can, can appear to be hidden. See, the, the, the story of Esther is really the story of our experience most of the time. The, the seemingly hidden presence of God. That it's not obvious at every moment and in every decision and in every detail. At least it's not obvious in real time. His power is not always perceived and his presence is not always felt. That does not mean he is not present because he is in the good and in the bad, in the pleasant and in the deeply painful, in the obvious and in the mysterious. And so this is a call to really, towards two things, to to, to continue to press on because the story of Esther and the story of our lives are verify what Scripture explicitly says that God is sovereign and his power is in power is present at all times. Paul says it like this in Timothy I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he might which he will display at the proper time he who is blessed and the only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of Lords who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall find me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. See, this is a call to, to faith in this reality. It's a call to, to have faith that God is always present, and He is always present in His full power and authority in every, in every moment of our lives. But it's also a call to do this is that we, we must define then our experience by that reality, not define our reality by any experience we have at the time. We must define our, our, our experience by what is really true. See, he, here's what I mean. We must look at what is true and what is unchanging and what is real. That, that God is in control, that He is sovereign, that He is present with His people. We, we, we need to find what is true, not by our experience at any moment, not by how I feel today or how it appears at the moment or what am I in faith for or where do I actively see God right now at this moment. It would have been ridiculously wrong for once the, once the king signed the death warrant in Esther for them to say, you know what? I guess, God, you're not going to arrive here. I guess you're, you're just not in this one. We really thought you were with us, but... You know, the king signed this. It's gonna play out a certain way and you just, you sat this one. I don't blame you. I mean, we're in exile for a reason, but you, you're just not in this one. But you see, I think this is so often what we do. We, we snapshot a moment of our life and then we try to interpret the entire picture around it. But not only is that inaccurate, not only does that miss the big picture, it, 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 it's an attempt to reduce the... God to the size of us or our problems or the solutions that we can see as most fitting for us. And, and it tries to fit God into our box with our solutions, with our wisdom, and say, okay, if because you didn't appear to me like this, I guess you're not really there. But God is so much bigger that He'll never fit our preconceived box of how He's supposed to work in any circumstance. And so the key is not to reduce Him to our size or His presence to, boy, His presence must look like our immediate relief of a situation. But what we need to do, is one thing we need to do, is we need to spend time in this book, again, and again, and again, to see how his presence, and to see how his power, and his purpose just plays out time, and time again, and what what happens as we see that, we are transformed by his sovereign grandeur, and by his bigness, and by his creativity, and his power, and his vastness, and his character, and so when we think more about the size of our God, and we're more aware that God is always with us, it's not that our situation or sin, or problem gets smaller, is that they, get, they simply get more put in the proper perspective and the proper ratio. See, our, our circumstances don't sh- always show us reality. But God really is always present. And He's not only always present, God's always the main character in the story. Point number three is this. Unstoppable purpose. Unstoppable purpose. So the story of Esther, historically speaking, was it was to show that the way that Purim, which is a, a feast that celebrated God's deliverance, how how that got started. So it's, it's sort of the history section of okay, how did we get this feast? That's where it came from. So the book of Esther ends with a celebration and with a feast. It celebrates the deliverance of God's people throughout the book of Esther that they were near extinction and how he delivered them but it's also a feast that anticipated an eternal deliverance that god would someday send not just a temporary deliverer but an eternal deliverer for his people and when this takes place we've mentioned this before but it takes place in the same time period as ezra and nehemiah which are the it's the end of the history section of the old testament So these are the last recorded events we see of historically speaking in the Old Testament. And the next historic event that we're going to read of in Scripture is an angel appearing before a young virgin to declare how God will fully and finally and forever deliver His people in the coming of Jesus Christ. Because in this story and in your story and in every story involving God and His people, you will never find you will never find God's purposes or His promises don't come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Which is remarkable in this story, not, because of, not just because of how close they came to extinction, but because how deserved it really was that they were there. They were in exile already because time after time, God was faithful and they kept leaving. Because God, and God, because God kept giving them, Here, here's the law to follow, and they kept breaking it knowingly time and time again. The story that we, that we went through already throughout the series of Ezra and Nehemiah it wasn't the story of the faithfulness of the people. It was of this slow return and this reluctant obedience and of this partial repentance. And yet God, who promised deliverance for his people, kept his word as he does for us. And again, at any moment then and at any moment now, it can appear that what we're really going to experience is partial. Or, maybe this time we've just pushed him a little too far. Or maybe all of his purposes are for like people corporately. But, and let me say, that's true, they are for his people corporately, yes and amen, but it will times I feel, but they're not for me personally. Or, this circumstance is too powerful, this enemy is too great, or my sin has just stained the story too much. But there will never be the story of God breaking a promise to his people or of any part of his purpose or promises not coming to pass. See, this story of Esther about the purposes of God being fulfilled, it's not unique to this story. That's always the story of God and his people. God is faithful to His people. His purposes will happen. Listen, as I got off the plane in Baltimore a couple weeks ago, I didn't know the pilot's name. I couldn't tell you what he looked like. I couldn't tell you what it sounded like. But it was obvious what he did, right? In our lives, God's work will not always be dramatic. But it is there. His presence will not always be so that, that just overwhelmingly that we feel it. But He is always with us. He is in sovereign control each step each day, with each person. And the same God we see in Esther 2,500 years ago is the same God we experience in our lives today. And His purposes will come to pass for us today and in the future just as it came to pass for them. So whatever we think stands in the way, know this, that God's purposes will stand. Because the ways of God are often invisible, but always unstoppable. I'm going to close in prayer. I want to close in prayer just a little different as the worship team comes up. I'm aware that there's, there are probably people here today who are thinking, boy, I, I believe this. I know that to be true, that we don't always see God's per- perfect power on display in my life, and that we, that we don't always see, you know, but honest, I, mean, I know that to be true, but honestly, Adam, I, I'm, I'm really struggling for faith. I'm struggling to see God's purpose and his power and his, his presence in my life right now. So I objectively know it to be true, but this is a, a battle for faith. And if, if that would be you in any way, I just want to, in particular way, pray for you. And I would ask if, if everybody could join me. we As your brothers and sisters, we want to pray for you as, 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 as you think through that. That this wouldn't just be theoretical, the power of God in my life and the presence of God in my life. And that his purposes will come to pass in my life, but that you would have faith to interpret your reality correctly. So would you pray with me as we close? Father, I pray for anyone here who has heard this and is, in a sense, sees it, but doesn't fully believe it, or wonders if if it's really true for their life and in every detail. Maybe because of some sin that they feel will hold them back from your purposes being fulfilled or something in their past that they just, it weighs so heavy because they see circumstances and don't see how you're at work in the moment and they've, they've wondered if you've just over time forgotten them in some way. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is really struggling for faith at this moment. Lord, would you give them the gift of faith through your word that you are present with them right now. You will be present with them tomorrow, however they wake up. That your power is in full effect in their life, even when it's not obvious. And that your purpose for them will stand. That every promise that you have made to them will be complete on the day of Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you help your people preserve in you by the power of your Spirit? Would you give them fresh faith? Would you give your people fresh just desire to in a sense, when they don't see you obviously to to, to look for something else, but when they don't see you obviously to, in a sense, look again and look again and find that their God is faithful to them all their days. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.